Rebellions are built on hope. And welcome to another episode of Radio Rebellion Star Wars Podcast. I'm your host, Alberto Calderon, and thank you for joining us. Actually, on a special episode on Wednesday. I'm here with our co-host, Oti, and a very special guest, senior editor of Random House Worlds, Del Rey, Tom Holler. Tom, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Oti, how are you doing over there in the uh, island of enchantment, Puerto Rico? It's been a rainy day, but it's also hot. It's one of those days. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, me being in Florida is very similar to Puerto Rico. So it was very hot in the morning. Then it got cloudy all of a sudden when I decided to go out and just work from the backyard. It started raining. And as soon as as I came in, the sun came back out. So I might be sweating a little bit. Okay. All right. Tom, you doing you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's a little chilly uh, in New yeah. York today. I'm still pretty nice, but a little bit cooler. Uh, it's been really yeah. warm the last couple of days. So inside <laughs> all day doing work. But um, yeah, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Uh, Tom, we talked a little bit before we started. Um, you Thanks again for watching the show last week with Lydia Cash. She was very gracious for being here with us. She's had very nice things to say about you when we told her you were joining us. And when I mentioned to other people, my our friend Maggie Lovett from Collider, I mentioned you were coming when we started talking a couple of weeks ago or months ago, and she was, oh, Tom is great. You're going to have a, a lot of fun. So people out there do love you. So thanks for taking the time. Well, that's very nice to hear. So thank you to, <laughs> to, to all of them and everybody. That's It's it's always nice to hear people are happy or excited <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah, I know. There has been hype, so no pressure. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I feel great. I feel great. Not sweating at all. No, um, no, you're great. Yeah, you just said it's cool down there in in New York. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, uh, for everyone joining us, very thanks for being here. As always, if it's your first time joining us, make sure you subscribe to our channel and comment down below if you're watching this later on the replay or when you listen to listen to it when it comes out on audio format. And yeah, that's it. Subscribe. You know that fun stuff. And we should, I mean, we will have our regular episode on Saturday this week. So make sure to tune in for that. Um, Oti, before, actually, before you check in with the chat, I'm just going to show, I tweeted this out a couple of minutes ago, about an hour ago. I'm, as you can see in my background, I take all my toys out of the box. I'm an out of the box guy. But my, my wife got me this 50th anniversary. Sorry, I can't really show you. Georgia Bings. Oh, thank you, Oti, for producing the show which I think might be the first one I keep in the package because it's a very nice one, holographic design. I might keep my Jar Jar Binks in the package there. So I don't know. I just wanted to show it. It's a cool figure. Yeah. yeah it looks good. That packaging looks awesome. It yeah. does. And the, the figure itself is a very cool design for yeah, Jar Jar. So. Uh, the mold is very detailed. Yeah, it's going into my rotation. All right, Oti, who's out there in the chat before we start? We have quite a, quite a lot of people. We have Dale, as always. Hi, Dale. We have the Blue Milk Mama. Ooh, Jacqueline, thanks for being here. We have Arzu over here. Hi, Arzu. Arzu. Yeah. Jacqueline is actually unpacking groceries, so good, <laughs> <up with> that. <laughs> good priorities. Good priorities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we have Mo. Mo is in the Hi, chat. Mo. All right, before we officially start, 
Tom has actually been here before, even though I didn't notice. He was in the chat, I don't know, about a year or so ago. I had an episode with our friend, uh, Outer Rim Reads. We we're talking about just canon books in Star Wars. Oh, and about a year later, as I was doing research for the episode we did about favorite Star Wars books, just to make sure I didn't repeat myself, I saw this. Someone was in the chat. What did you say there? Tom Holler was in the chat, and I missed him completely. So how embarrassing for me that I missed <laughs> the senior editor of Star Wars books in the chat while we're talking Star Wars book, and I completely missed it. So I'm sorry, but Tom, thanks again for agreeing to be here. Nothing, nothing to apologize for. Um, I love checking in um, with this show, with other shows when folks are talking about Star Wars mm -hmm. books. I, I want to be around when people are talking about Star Wars <laughs> books, so I, I jump in and check in now and then. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of sneak into the back of the the virtual room, see what's going on, and then slip out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it was very nice of you to be there. All right, so if you guys are ready, I'm not ready. Let's talk Star Wars, and you know, today is all a chat with Tom Holler, the senior editor of Random House Books. I believe it used to be called Del, Del Rey. What was that change? Is it how, Random House Worlds now? What is it? Yeah, so and the the team that does the adult Star Wars novels for, for many years, Del Rey, you know, our social mm -hmm. handle is still Del Rey Star Wars, et cetera. If you came to conventions, it'd be Del Rey um, Star Wars booth. Now it's Random House Worlds. Um, you can think of it mostly a little bit like a jersey change in sports. Like it's the same team, <laughs> all the same folks, the same people yeah. just sort of rebranded. Um, there's a lot of uh, kind of behind the scenes, not uh, all that important reasons for that, sure. that name change. Um, but uh, it's still the same folks, um, still all the same people working on it. Mm -hmm. It's still the same way we make books. But yeah, it's technically now Random House Worlds. If you go to look at your books now, the little uh, yeah. icon called the Colophon that's on the mm -hmm. spine of the books is now Random House Worlds. Um, so yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, it's a pretty cool design. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> oh, there you go, exactly. There you go, it's official now. Uh, all right, Oti, are you ready to start us off? I am, I can't believe I have the first question. It's something I give you the honor. Yeah, uh, okay, so Tom, we always like to start asking our guests about their Star Wars story. So can you talk a little bit about your Star Wars story? Did you enjoy it from a, a young age? Was it something you grew into? Uh, what was the first movie you saw? What What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite character? Just a few questions for you. Back sure. there. Uh, this is always a hard question for me to yeah. answer because I don't um, I don't actually know what the sort of origin of my story with Star Wars is. I can't remember. Um, okay. And it's very funny. I've, I've been asked this stuff a few times and enough <laughs> times that I've actually like gone and like asked my mom or asked other yeah. relatives and no one can tell me and I can't remember the first time I ever saw Star Wars. I um, am a child mostly of the 90s. I was born in the late 80s, so grew up in the 90s. Um, and I do remember like going to see the theater when the special editions came out and they were released in theaters. I know I had seen Star Wars before that when I was much younger. I would imagine that A New Hope was the very first Star Wars movie I saw, but I can't remember, um, which is kind of a shame. I, I always hear all these amazing stories of people who can remember the, like that exact first moment they saw Star Wars or they found Star Wars, and I don't have that. But um, so then I just get to say like, well, Star Wars has always been part of me. Since I can't remember. You know, it's like I was born already knowing yeah. Star Wars, already connected to Star Wars. Um, so I don't know a lot of like the firsts with it, but it has always been a big part of my life ever since I was younger. Um, and always been a thing that I was so deeply connected to um, through the movies and then eventually through books and through other media. Um, interestingly, um, until I got a little older, 
um, Star Wars was sort of a thing I kind of enjoyed on my own. Um, mm -hmm. I have some, I have siblings and they like Star Wars and I have friends who like Star Wars, but I wasn't really deeply involved in like Star Wars communities or like fan communities until I was older for a long time as a kid. It was like, I just enjoyed Star Wars by myself. It was kind of my own little thing. Um, and that was just like, it was just me, which was kind of fun, but then it was great to find other people to actually like really chat with it about. Um, as far as like a favorite, um, I don't really have a favorite. I know that sounds a little bit like a cop out, but I don't really have a favorite Star Wars movie. I find myself gravitating to different movies at different times kind of in my life, like at, or it, like in terms of like my mood or like what I want. Um, I suppose if you really pressed me and were like, you know, we're sending you to the desert island and you only get to take one Star Wars movie with you, which one's going with you? Probably A New Hope is coming with me. Um, though it might also be Return of the Jedi because when I was younger, we moved houses. And obviously we had the movies, you know, on, on VHS at the time. Um, and something happened during the move, as always happens during the move. We lost the first two oh, movies. No. We lost A New Hope and, and Empire Strikes. So I couldn't find them. And so for a long time, I could only just watch Return of the Jedi because that's the only one we had. So one of those two was probably coming to the desert island with me. Um, and the same thing is true of the characters. Like, I don't really have a favorite character. Um, one, again, I find myself gravitating to different characters for different reasons at different times. But also, I love so much the interactions between the characters and the way that the characters mm -hmm. relate to and engage with each other that at times it, it's difficult for me to like separate like right. Han from Leia because it's like the dynamic of Han and Leia together to me is just so incredible and, and other characters. So um, I also have a hard time picking a favorite. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's it. It's ice. So go ahead, Aldi. Did you get the chance to watch uh, Return of the Jedi in the theater? Recently? Uh, I did because when the when the special editions were released, I re I can remember distinctly going with mm -hmm. relatives and friends to see each of them when they got re released. So I did okay. get to go see that in the theater. Um, and, and did you go a couple of weeks ago for the fortieth anniversary? Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able oh. to. I had a very good reason. Um, I was working on finishing some Star Wars books. Oh, okay. uh, so, so <laughs> I was doing some Star Wars things, which prevented me from going to see the Star Wars in the theater. Yeah. Um, uh, so unfortunately, uh, I didn't. But uh -oh. um, that's, that's a good problem to have. Like yeah, Star yeah. Wars keeping you from Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll take that. We'll take that. Um, I sympathize with your reasoning that you remember Star Wars always being there, but not the exact time. I usually say here that I was three years old when Return of the Jedi came out, and my first memories being three years old, crying on my mom's lap when Jabba the Hutt came out. But again, I was three, so I really don't remember. But that's right. what I've created in my mind, and my brother kind of confirmed it a little bit but it really didn't become part of my life till the, the special editions came out in the late 90s. Right. So it was always there. I knew I saw it at some point. I knew the whole story. We saw it at home in VHS or when it came out on TBS or wherever. But it wasn't until the late 90s when it kind of really took over. Exactly, exactly. All right, Tom. I used to ask guests when they came in, and I kind of stopped. But I want to hear, especially for people like us, like we said, we love Star Wars, but it's kind of part of our lives. So every time something Star Wars happens, people either give us weird gifts, has to call you during uh, May 4th to tell you happy Star Wars day. Has anyone given you, a, or have you bought for yourself a weird Star Wars something? And while you think, if you have to think, or if you already have an answer, I always say, I was given a couple of years ago, a Hungarian version of The Force Awakens, a picture book, you can see here. It's in all Hungarian, which I do not read. 
it has masks that you can take out, Ray, Stormtroopers, there's a Chewbacca and a Kylo Ren. But the best part is that for some reason, it ends, it ends when they get to the car. There's nothing else after <laughs> that. So the last thing of the movie, you have no idea what happened. So that's one of the weirdest gifts I've gotten. How about for you? Uh, so I've... I've, I've I've been uh, very fortunate that because I go to you know I go to a lot of conventions I go to book conventions mm -hmm. I go to comic cons uh, etc that you know people are very kind and very gracious coming up giving stickers yeah. and buttons and mm -hmm. things like that I wouldn't say any I would not call any of those weird obviously sure. I've always gotten really cool really fun little things um, I'm I'm looking over I'm kind of looking off screen at my bookshelf <laughs> um, and there is there is a, a book. Um, that I can't reach because it's buried under a bunch of other books. But um, if folks will remember, there was a book that came out a few years ago called um, "It's a Star Wars Made Easy" by um, mm -hmm. Christian Bravel. I believe uh, Blavel. It's a uh, I believe it's from DK, the publisher. Um, Christian's a friend of mine. He's great. It's a great book. It's it's one of those great books that you can give to people who you know, particularly younger people who might be coming to Star Wars for the first time, or people who are looking for one of those books that's just like a big, great kind of cool reference, broad Easter egg book. And what makes it unusual, the book itself is not unusual, is that the copy that I have is in Icelandic. Oh, wow. And I found it enough. in Iceland. I found it in Reykjavik <laughs> in Iceland, and I bought it. And the reason why is, well, two reasons. One, Christian's a friend of mine, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Christian's book all the way here in Iceland. I need to buy it. Yeah. But the second reason is that, um, you know, Iceland is a relatively small country, and mm -hmm. Iceland does not have a massive population. So the number of people who speak Icelandic is pretty small, you know? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of books, for a book to actually be translated into Icelandic, since most everyone in Iceland does speak <laughs> English and learns English, for a book to actually be translated into Icelandic is like pretty rare. So the fact that that book was translated into Icelandic makes it not weird, but makes it unusual, yeah, it makes unique. it unique in some respects. I don't know that any other Star Wars book has ever been translated <laughs> to Icelandic. That's possible that another one of the reference books has. Um, but the fact that that one was was just like so exciting to me, and I was so so excited to see it. Um, so that I would say that maybe is like my most unusual mm -hmm. um, or kind of weird gift. Yeah, um, I didn't get a whole lot of Star Wars gifts growing up, not because people were trying to make me avoid Star Wars. Just one of those <laughs> things that I don't know. I just didn't. Uh, I didn't really get action figures as gifts, even though people knew I liked Star Wars. It's just for whatever reason, didn't grow up getting a lot of Star Wars toys or gifts or or, mm -hmm. or things. Man, Iceland, that's one of those places. Every time I see a documentary or someone visiting Iceland, I just want to go over it. Seems it is so cold. It is absolutely worth it. Uh, I love it. My my wife is from Iceland, so we, we Ooh, visited several times. Obviously, the visit family. Um, it is one of my favorite places in the world, um, and I love going every time that we go. Um, whether it's the dead of winter, where it's almost <laughs> no sunlight, and we go for like the holidays, or during the summer, where there's pretty much no darkness um, and it's daylight all the time. Um, you know, at like three o'clock in the morning. Um, it's a, it's wow. a wonderful place. I totally recommend visiting it. If you've never been to Iceland. Yeah. I might have to take Noted. some notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So working at random house worlds as an editor was working on star Wars books, something that you always wanted or something that just kind of happened. Um, it was something that I always wanted and it was entirely the driving force for me to get okay. into publishing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, 
um, uh, publishing and working as an editor is my second career. I had a, a, a first career working in business, working in finance, working in accounting. And when I decided okay. to leave that to go work in publishing, it was specifically because I wanted to go work as an editor. And among other things, I wanted to work on Star Wars books. Oh, nice. And I wanted to come work at Delray. Not Random House Woods, but I wanted to come work at Delray to work on Star Wars books. Um, and I can distinctly remember I sat in my old boss's office after I had told them that I was leaving that job. And they asked me, they said, well, what are you going to do? And I said the words. It sounds, it sounds um, apocryphal. It sounds like a thing that you'd only hear in a movie. But I yeah. sat in a chair and I said to her, I'm going to go to Delray and I'm going to work on Star Wars books. I said those exact words to them. Um, you got to manifest it. I got to yeah, put exactly. it out there to the world. <laughs> I, exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm, an account, I'm an accountant. So hearing that story is like, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, solidarity. Go, okay, hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was always it was always part of the plan. It was always the plan. It wasn't even part of it. It was the plan. <laughs> there wasn't another plan. <laughs> no, no plan B. That was it. Exactly, exactly. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So... Tom, for someone like me who's just an accountant and part-time likes to talk about Star Wars and talks about Star Wars books as, as if I know everything, <laughs> what's the job of an editor? Like, what do you do? Okay. Um, so the, the sort of, there, there's two parts to being an editor. Um, and one part I think most people are familiar with. That's the part that is working with an author to take their writing and make it the best version of itself, to take their story and take their idea and help them cultivate it, provide them feedback, help them revise it, to make it ultimately the best version of whatever the author's goal and intent is. That's one part of the job. And okay. I spend a lot of time doing that. I love doing that. It's, it's so rewarding to get to be part of a creative endeavor and to help an author bring their story to life and make it better. But the other part of being an editor the other part of my job, and quite frankly, the thing that I probably spend the most time doing if we were just talking about like, what do you do day to day, mm -hmm. nine to five, like Monday through Friday, is actually, it's a role of project management. I spend a lot of time managing the process of taking a book from you know a collection of pages in Microsoft Word on an author's computer mm -hmm. to a finished book on one of your bookshelves behind you. Um, and a book has to go through a pretty long process, a pretty long journey, through a bunch of different stages and has to interact with a bunch of different departments and other people in order to achieve all of that. And it's the job of a book editor within a publishing house to shepherd the book through that process. So as a project manager, I'm connecting with all the other departments that help make a book, the production department, the marketing and publicity department, the art and design department, um, all of these different groups of people, the contracts department. I could, there's like I could go on and on. Like we could be here for a while just talking about departments. And it's my job to help put everyone in those different departments in the best position they need to be in order to do their part of the job. So that might be providing them new information about the book. It might be providing them different sorts of files or or um, different other you know uh, bits of paperwork um, or just information. It might be sitting down with the sales or the marketing team to say, hey, here's what we think the five most exciting things about this book are that we can okay. develop you know promotion around. And it's my job as the editor to kind of be the fulcrum of that process, to be at the center of that and to help everybody out, help manage the schedules, keep track of the deadlines, 
if one of the departments is making a decision that's going to affect one of the other departments, oftentimes the editor's job is to negotiate those things or help uh, notify the two departments that like, hey, we're doing X over here. That might affect Y over here. Okay. Um, so it's a big, again, it's a big challenge of project management. Um, and I spend most of my day doing that. Um, the editing part, the creative endeavor, the chatting with authors and looking at manuscripts and mm -hmm. making notes, that's a much smaller part of the overall pie. Um, okay. And I don't do that day to day. Like for instance, today, I didn't read, I didn't read any part of any manuscript to do any editing because <laughs> okay. I had a whole bunch of other things I needed to get done. Um, uh, tomorrow, I will probably do some editing. <laughs> but um, today, for instance, I did. It was pretty much all project management and other things. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's great to hear because at least, like Otti said, we talk about books here, but one thing we always say, we don't know how the process is made and all this behind the scenes. So it's great to hear all the steps because you might think, or I might think it's just, you work directly with the author and that's it. That's a hundred percent your job. I know there's all these other steps that a lot of people don't think about. And you kind of touch upon it a little bit with this answer, with that answer, I should say. But what's that process of working with an author when they come in with a manuscript? Do you map out the story or or how does it go? And then specifically working with the High Republic, there's so many authors, so many books that interconnect with each other. You gotta make sure you don't miss anything. Easter eggs here, what we're gonna say here is gonna connect three books from down there. How's that process of making sure everything stays connected and everything makes sense in so, such a big uh, policing kind of era? right now with the High Republic? Sure, so um, something that we do with any of our books is we actually don't start with a manuscript, we start with an outline. Okay. Um, you know, so we have, mm -hmm. a, we have an author sit down and put together an outline of you know, the overall arc of what's gonna happen in the book. The big events, um, maybe the big connections, the, the characters who are gonna appear, if they're original characters, a little bit of info about like, who is this original character? Mm -hmm. What's their background? Where are they from? What do they want? That kind of thing. Um, and the reason being that if you think about having to um, connect or keep a bunch of different stories really cohesive. If you start with an outline of like, here's the broad strokes of where we're going, it's really much easier to evaluate, let's say, a seven-page or even a ten-page outline and say, eh, you know, the thing that's going on here on page two of this outline, I, that, that's either not going to work because it conflicts with another story or, you know, it's just not quite landing right, right? Mm -hmm. It's easier to tell an author, hey, why don't you revise these two pages of this ten-page <laughs> outline versus getting a 300-page manuscript <laughs> yeah. and saying, you know what? You got to rewrite 200 of these 300 pages, right? It's just yeah, um, so good. You know, time, effort, all these things. Like, first of all, one of those is much easier than the other, and B, <laughs> one of those is much more doable than the other. So we always start with outlines because that allows everybody to get on the same page about what are we trying to achieve in the book? How are we going to go about achieving it? If there's things that we haven't quite ironed out, like what are the trying to identify maybe the pain points in the story or the parts of the story that we think might need more revising or just more attention mm -hmm. during the editing process, you do all of that during the outline stage. It's like practice, right? And then when the manuscript comes in, you already kind of know, oh, I need to pay extra attention to these chapters or this thing. Um, and in doing that, uh, I'm always chatting, whether it's one book or a whole series, like always having conversations with my friends at Lucasfilm to talk about what other stories are going on, what other stuff's mm -hmm. going on in Star Wars. One, so we can plan fun Easter eggs and connections, because yeah. that's always fun, right? It's always great to mm -hmm. read a book and realize, oh my gosh, this connects yeah. that book or that comic mm -hmm. over there. Oh my God, that's so cool. Um, 
but also in order to ensure that the stories themselves, you know, mm -hmm. uh, complementary each other or that, you know, the stories are not crashing into each other unless you want the stories to crash into <laughs> each other, um, in which case we yeah. want to crash them intentionally. Um, and so we're doing that for every single book, which means that then for something like the High Republic, it's like the same thing, but just more. Uh, it's the same thing that we always do. It's just more of it, um, you know. Um, and so that's kind of the way we work is we, we really rely on outlines. We're always having tons of conversations and back and forth um, about just what's going on in stories, if we need to change something or pivot something. It's just like the, the thing that we always talk about, and it's very much true of publishing, it's true of many things, is like communication can kind of solve almost every problem. So like, we'll just talk it through, we'll figure it out. You know, if two things are conflicting or if something's not quite lining up, as long as we can identify it and then chat through it, we can figure it out. Um, and that's always kind of the goal. Um, and it's fun because it just means that you're constantly in communication with all these really great collaborators and really great creative people who have ideas and solutions and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the way that it, that's the way that it works. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that sounds great and at the same time kind of daunting, especially working with so many people and going to Lucasfilm, Lucas, hey, I want to add this, knowing that they might say, you know what? No, you can't. We're doing all this other stuff for your secret that you can't know anything about. But it's great to hear that. Um, Oti, who else is out there in the chat? I've seen oh a God. couple of new people oh, have showed up. People are flooding in. So. Hi, everyone. Uh, oh, yeah, you, you already showed up. Brian's here. Brian. We also have Brennan who showed up. Ooh, Brennan, thanks for being here. We have Roberto who's here. Hi, Roberto. We also have Amy Guerra. Hi, Amy. Ooh, Amy. Hi, Amy. So, yeah, it's a bunch of people. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Tom, I, I want to know, and I know the answer to this question is it depends, <laughs> but I want to know how, uh, more or less uh, what's the usual time from going maybe from an idea or from a manuscript all the way to the book being out there in shelves for people to buy. You are correct. It does depend. Um, <laughs> Next question. Uh, so there isn't like a, every book takes this amount of time. It, it does depend. Um, it depends on all sorts of things, like a million different factors. Um, I will tell you that there have, and I'm, I'm not going to get specific for, for a very no, specific don't. reason that I'll explain it afterwards, but there have totally been books that have gone from initial idea to on the shelf in a year actually wow. in less than a year we have we have totally done that um okay. that is unusual for publishing broadly that is actually not that unusual when you're talking about um the kind of publishing that star wars publishing is which is called licensed publishing or you mm -hmm. might hear it called ip publishing in licensed or ip publishing shorter overall development windows and publication windows uh, are actually rather common um, so we have totally done books in less than a year it's really challenging um, it really requires everyone to be on the same page, everyone moving in the same direction. But luckily, yeah. we have a lot of people who are really um, experienced with that. So um, we can do that. And we have done that. Okay. Uh, and then some books will be in development or or go through um, that process over the course of quite literally years. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it really does vary. Um, it's a, it's a mix. Um, you know, not every book, you know, is in development for like multiple years and not every book is done in, um, figuratively speaking, mm -hmm. you know, five minutes. Um, so it varies. Um, and, and the reason why I don't ever really denote which books that is, is like, I, I feel like people could, uh, interpret that as like a, um, 
a referendum on like the quality of a book. Mm -hmm. And really that's not really the case. Like it, it is a challenge, but it's also kind of a practice of being able to develop a book in a shorter time frame versus a long time frame. And while having, you know, every book I've ever worked on, even the books that we've worked on for a long, long time, trust me, I would always love to have more time to work on every <laughs> single book, every single yeah. one. Um, but it's also a, a factor that like we, totally know how to do it if we need to mm. um, and know how to to achieve that so yeah it does vary um, obviously we always try to have as much time as we can but there are totally moments that come up where we're like oh we could totally do a book we don't have as much time um, as we would want but that's fine because sure. we'll make it happen so um, in dance in that sense could you like at times be working at different projects that are like maybe in different stages of production, meaning one that could be released released within the year, one that could be released in two years, three years, depending. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's sort of how editors work is that editors okay. are never just working on one book at a time. Okay. So uh, as an editor, you're always working on multiple projects. Um, I would say that myself, I'm probably always working, I'm usually working on between four and six is probably oh, my goodness. average. And those, to your point, are always at wildly different stages okay. of the process. So for instance, you know, um, uh, Delilah Dawson's Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade comes out, I think it's the two months from tomorrow. So it comes out in two months and that book is basically done, going off to the printer, was, you know, just making sure that all the files look good and was doing the last little mm -hmm. bits of, you know, ensuring all the last little proofreads got in and then we didn't, you know, I didn't accidentally like key in a weird error to the book somewhere <laughs> and checking for typos one more time, uh, that kind of thing. But then, you know, there's also, uh, we've got from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi coming out later in the mm -hmm. summer. And that is not quite at that stage, but getting to that stage. And then we've got books coming out this fall and there's projects um, that people don't know about that we're working on for next <laughs> okay. year that you know are in different stages and so you're always working on multiple projects at multiple stages and something might be in its outline phase and i'm sending material to an author about their outline another book might be in its very first draft and i'm reading the first draft while another book like i said is in its sort of last layout and we're just taking last looks before we send it off to the printer so that's always the case we're always working on multiple projects and because we want to give every book as much time as possible, you have to work as far ahead, right? If I want uh, to publish a book, let's say, you know, Odie, I want you to write me a book and we're going to publish it in fall of 2025. Well, fall of 2025 sounds like it's a long <laughs> time away from now, right? It's two years from now. But because, and this is true of book publishing overall, this is not just true of, of Star Wars publishing. It's like mm -hmm. book publishing takes some time. You need time to put a book through that process of going from, again, Microsoft Word file to final book. You actually need a bunch of time and you need to layer in time to have revision and you need to layer in time for the author and the editor to talk about the revisions and then give feedback on the revisions. So um, because of that, you're always chasing and planning you know, a year, multiple years mm -hmm. out from wherever you are. So yeah, I've, I've got, um, I've got things at every stage of the process right now. I've got manuscripts in my, you know, on my desk as well as outlines, as well as final things and everything in between. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, I yeah. I think we're getting that Ben Quaternero's book. It's oh, it's coming. <laughs> yes, just for you. Is that, okay. that what you're writing? That that's. Uh, uh, okay. uh, hey, if this film calls, I have an idea. <laughs> All right, it's right there. It just needs the computer and go. Uh, I'll say that Inquisitor books comes out two days after my birthday. 
I'm just saying for people oh, out there. So, sorry you know, we missed it by two days. Yeah, but, I know. But, you Next know, time. a belated birthday gift. Somebody, hey, you know, belated birthday gift. It is. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you say two years sounds like it's far enough, but it's not really. I'm working something at work. Every three years, we have this big kind of inspection that comes on. And we people, the big higher up start freaking out like a year in advance. I'm like, why are you guys freaking out? We still have a year. And this year, I'm having to do parts of it. And I'm freaking out with all the things that need to be done. So I understand that. Yeah, two years. That's you got enough time. No, it comes. It comes at you pretty fast. It does. And and it's funny. Um, and Odie, you might be able to relate to this. When I was working as an accountant, oftentimes accountants are like looking back in time. You're looking at like what did last year's numbers look like? What were you know we had to put together our taxes for the previous year. You're kind of always living weirdly in, in the, the past. past. And as a book editor, I'm always living weirdly in the future. I'm like never <laughs> thinking about the present um, because by the time it becomes the present, like whatever I was working on is already yeah. done. So yeah. I, I'm always weirdly thinking about a time that is other than now. Uh, I totally get that because for me, it's 2022 because all my, I'm working with all my clients' 2022 yep. numbers. So it's yep. like, oh, it's 2023 already? Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's the right idea. Everything, all our birthdays should be on Tuesday. So they match with the books. That's true. That's book release day. It's <laughs> <Okay>. Tuesday. <laughs> I'll, I'll make that happen, Jacqueline. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Tom, uh, with movies, they always say that the movies is uh, the, the screenplay is uh, edited three times when when the author write it, writes it when it's shot and when it's edited does the th same thing happen with with books though do story beats maybe sometimes dramatically change uh during the editing process could you be like hey i know you wrote this but this isn't really working in the context of the story or what we're trying to do I mean, that totally can happen. Ideally, okay. we'd like that not to happen, but it, it totally can. And, and again, that's one of the reasons why we start with an outline is that oh, okay. if there are initial story ideas that are just like, ah, this just doesn't work. Because again, maybe it's conflicting with something. Maybe the story just not quite coming together. It doesn't sound plausible. It's just, you know, it's just, you read it and you're just like, ah, it's not, it's not there, right? Um, ideally, we try to work as much of that as we can out in the outline so that when the manuscript comes in, it's like the overall arc of the story we know is going to work and we know is what we want and is going to achieve the goals that the author has and, you know, is going to hit the themes that we want to hit, et cetera. Okay. But then maybe exactly how we get to that journey, we're like, oh, you know, we're actually missing one more scene. Oh, you know, we don't have enough scenes of these two characters chatting. And because we really need their final moment to resonate, we need another moment like this. Um, okay. A good example where something like that happened is um, in the Theron Ascendancy series that I got to work on with, with Tim Zahn. In Lesser Evil, um, the third book, there's this character um, who some people might be familiar with named Thras, who has a, a particular relationship with Thrawn. And the book is um, in part about the arc of that relationship. Um, and in the process, you know, that was part of the outline. We totally know that was going to be part of the book. But when we were working on the manuscript, when the drafts came in, we were looking at it and we were looking at revisions and stuff. One of the things that we all agreed on was we were like, we need one more scene with Thrawn and Thrass. <laughs> we don't have enough of them. We need one more scene where it's kind of just the two of them, not in the middle of like a mission or anything like super plot heavy. We just need another kind of quiet moment of the two of them engaging with each other early on to really punctuate the building of their relationship and the building of their rapport together. And so in that case, we actually added another scene that wasn't originally planned to be part of the book because that book needed it. Um, okay. And that happens quite a lot where we'll say, 
you know, the arc of what we're trying to achieve here still totally works, but because maybe the pacing isn't quite right, or, you know, we haven't really earned the big final battle yet, we haven't earned the big theme or the big stakes, hey, we need another moment of these two characters, or we need another moment where we remind readers about this particular conflict. That happens quite a bit, mm -hmm. because for as much as you might pre-plan things with an outline, and as much rigor you might do with an outline, until you actually put words on the page and see the story playing out in real time, that's really when you see exactly like, oh, is the pace correct through okay. the book? Is the character arc full and complete and all that? Um, but ideally, what we try to avoid and what we're usually pretty good about is, you know, a manuscript doesn't come in and you say, oh man, none of this works. We got to start from scratch. <laughs> we don't usually have time to start from scratch. Yeah. Um, but uh, that again, the the work of the outline phase is you know helps to solve. Okay. That. But every every book goes through the editing and the revising process and gets added to or subtracted to in some respect. That's not because the author hasn't achieved their goal. That's not like a failure of the author or anything of like that. It's just because that is an intrinsic part of the creative process of storytelling is looking at the story thinking about what the story is trying to achieve and saying, is there a better way to achieve the same thing? Yeah. Can we take what we're trying to achieve? And it's at seven. Seven's great. Can we make it nine? Mm -hmm. Can we make it 10? Can we make it 11? You know, can we, can we dial it all up even more? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that happens with, um, with every book. A, an, another example um, that I'll give, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a little more of an oblique example, but I think it's keen. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested for people to see it is that um, we were just talking about Rise of the Red Blade, which comes yeah. out in July. And I can tell you that when you open up Rise of the Red Blade and you read chapter one, that was not originally chapter one. Oh. Uh, there, a different chapter in the book was chapter one. And <laughs> as we started to revise and started to go through, I was talking to Delilah Dawson, the author about it. And we were talking, we we're like, you know what? We think there's a better place to start this story given some of the things that are going to happen later in the story, actually it'd be really cool if we did X at the start of the story. And so we added a different, a, a new chapter as that became chapter one and people will see. Um, <laughs> and that happens too. We oftentimes the place where you think you want to start the story is sometimes I think the thing that changes, we'll add a prologue, we'll, we'll back the story up five minutes. Mm -hmm. We'll, push the story forward five minutes. Um, that's a common thing that I, that tends to happen, not with every book, but with some books. So yeah, um, uh, every book goes through revision and editing and things change, though I would say by and large, we don't start making a book about something and then decide, oh, actually this book should be entirely different. This book <laughs> about um, Thai pilots should now be about an inquisitor. Like, you know, that, that, that does not, that, that happens again, with movies yeah. sometimes, but yeah, yeah. So that doesn't happen because again, we, we sort of start from this outline phase and yeah. we really, we try to work through all of those questions and challenges in the outline phase. Cause like I said, it's so much easier to go to an author and say, Hey, why don't we revise this one page of the outline versus a hundred pages, yeah. you know, completely yeah. overall a hundred pages of your manuscript. Man, I love hearing that collaborative pro uh, relationship between the author, the editor, and the whole group because we're used to TV shows and movies. Oh, I sent my manuscript to an editor and just read notes come back. And then that's all. It's not this how much care it, it, there is between all parts of it. And I can't wait yeah. to read Rise of the Race Bl Red Blade. Recently, I've been on a Sith and Dark Side kick, and Delilah writes some weird, great stories. So I can't wait to get that. And hopefully at some point we'll learn what was the original first chapter, just so we can go back. But yeah, so I mean, uh, 
it's still it's still in there and i think yeah. maybe people will be able to guess will be a fun guess but uh, you're right i just wanted to punctuate that like the best part of this job and the best part of what i get to do is getting to not just like mark up a manuscript and send notes back to an author but like getting to build a relationship mm -hmm. with an author and getting to have conversation with the author about their stories and what's important to them and the kinds of themes and characters and just experiences that they care about or they've had mm -hmm. and they're trying to convey that is by far the absolute yeah. best part of what i get to do and the <laughs> reason why i love doing it because um, yeah. you're right it's so much more than me just typing some track changes or comments mm -hmm. into microsoft word sending it back and being like send me the next draft <laughs> um, i will we will sit down sometimes and have like hours long conversations wow. about books about the books about the stuff and then those conversations will often dovetail into being like talking about our lives talking about like what's going on in the world yeah. talking about just like how we're feeling because your experience your core experience as a person is intrinsic to how you would write a book and is intrinsic mm -hmm. to the process of you being a storyteller and so it's almost impossible as an editor for you not to develop that sort of rapport with an author when you're engaging with their storytelling, because it's the best way that you learn about the kind of storytelling that they're trying to tell and how to best help them achieve that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so cool. It's so much fun. And it ties a little bit with something that Lydia Lydia Khan told us last week is when they sit down to write, write a Star Wars book, people can kind of think, oh, it's Star Wars, you're just gonna sell. So I'm just gonna phone it in. But no, there's that relationship and that importance that you guys put behind everything that you're doing and it shows in the books that come out and just how open and how happy everyone is with everyone that works in that team. So it's great to hear that also. Talking about yeah. sitting down with, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna, I was gonna say that what's also important about that is like, when we bring when you bring an author on board to write a star wars story there's not like you hand them like here's the star wars voice and this is the voice in the text you bring an author on board to write a star wars story because it's like odie i need your star wars story alberto i need your star wars book and so you want and you need that author to bring their experience and their voice to mm -hmm. the story because if not you you would get someone else to write that story sure. right you're not you're not trying to write the like the the just generic version of a star wars mm -hmm. story right you want the per that person's story the story that only you alberto only you Odie, could write no one else could write the star wars novel that you author because no one else is you no one else has your experience your voice your background and so lydia is entirely right there's so much intentionality put into it yeah. by the authors who come to write these books which is what makes them awesome like that's what makes them great that's that like secret sauce sort of <laughs> intangible thing it's the authors. It's them. Yeah. It's their voices. I, I agree. For me, like every time I have to read a Claudia Gray book, I'm yes, it's a Star Wars book, but it's a Claudia Gray book. And yeah. I get very excited about that. Same mm -hmm. with you know all the luminous writers, but so it's uh, happy to hear that. Yeah. So speaking about Claudia Gray and sitting down with authors just to kind of work out the book, Fallen Star is my favorite of the random house books that have come out recently. Fallen Star is my favorite one. I can't tell how many times I cried in the last 100 pages because Claudia Gray is the greatest out there. Any stories, any interesting story of working with Claudia writing Falling Star, which is this last adult novel for phase one, this closing out this big phase one. Any interesting story that came working with her for this book? I think the most interesting story about that particular book is that, you know, because it's the end of phase one, it's really like 
man, all these different threads that we've been building, threads that have been built in some of the comics or some mm -hmm. of the other stories or that have woven through everything, a lot of those are coming to fruition in the fallen star. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta stick the landing, right? Like you yeah. got, it's like, it's great to have all these stories and all this interconnectivity. And it's like, but that stuff really only works if when you bring it all together, it lands and it works. And because we knew what was going to be happening in the fallen star, yeah. you know, and, and the, let's say, um, big events uh for in case anyone has not read the fallen star has not gotten there in their high republic journey i will remain a little oblique some big events happen in the fallen star this is really you know stars fall some story some really story shaking and changing events and there's a to finally see that stuff on the page again we talked about it. there's a difference between seeing it in outline and be like okay this is what we're gonna do and then seeing it on the page and seeing it play out and being like did we earn it does it mm -hmm. resonate do you feel that emotion on the page and when you do just feel like yes it worked yeah. um and obviously that's in large part because claudia is just an absolutely phenomenal mm -hmm. storyteller um so that was that's the thing that sticks out to me about that book because it was really like all these other stories and all these other things that have been planned and that we'd executed now are kind of all coming together for the first time mm -hmm. in fallen star right um yeah okay, so, so you got to talk a little bit about that big landing big mm -hmm. moment um this i i find that book to be even with the dark tones uh to still be very hopeful book so let's talk about my favorite star wars book a very dark book called uh the rising storm any interesting stories about that one uh yeah i mean what's nice is every book that we work on has crazy has amazing stories but for for the rising yeah. storm um it's it's similar to Fallen Star, though obviously a little different because that is the middle book of its own trilogy and also was kind of in the middle of you know phase one, right? And so really what books like The Rising Storm, um, there's there's two things that stand out. First, the the, the big picture thing is that, you know, in the the first books of the High Republic, like Light of the Jedi and others, it's sort of like you're establishing the era, you're sort of laying the groundwork for this new place where you're going to tell stories, you're introducing a bunch of characters and worlds and things for the very first time. So that's its own challenges. Mm -hmm. But the Rising Storm was really with that book and the others in the middle phase of uh, the middle wave of Phase One was the first time that, again, you're sort of testing that thesis of like, can we really interconnect this many stories and mediums? Can we interconnect this many books and this many comics? Can we really do it? And The Rising Storm is one of the first books where you're putting that to the <laughs> test, where we're gonna draw in characters that we're in a different medium, we're gonna have characters dovetail outwards, we're gonna connect things that were in a comic and a book and bring them together. It was really that, again, that, that first time of testing some of this stuff that we were all so excited about. And everyone was like, this is going to work. We know it's going to work. But again, there's a difference between saying that and then seeing <laughs> on the page. So the first time that Kevin delivered that manuscript and was reading through and just seeing all the layering mm. and just being like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, it's, again, it's that, it's a really uplifting thing. The other thing about that book in particular is, you know, you've got the big, the galaxy fair, right? Mm -hmm. The big fair, which is like a little bit the world's fair. There's like a, a little... There is definitely a sense of like a kind of theme park aspect. There's that song that's definitely got vibes of a little bit of like it's a small world, but the mm -hmm. galaxy Star Wars version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was so much fun watching Cavan layer in all these details to the fair, not just because, you know, you get a lot of these sort of fun 
uh, reflections of the real world and fun, just fun. It's, you know, it's totally fun to like build a giant fair with all these cool things. But it was also really great to watch him do that because what you realize is going on is he's teaching you every aspect of the fair and every aspect of that location and creating this living, breathing place because later on, when he destroys it and he, everything is falling apart there yeah. you have learned and internalized that place so much that one the fact that it gets attacked its destruction is resonant mm -hmm. to you but you also the author has secretly taught you how to keep track of all of the chaos yep that amidst all the chaos you're like wait a minute i know where elzar is and yeah. i know where this person is because all those early chapters about them wandering through were mm -hmm. teaching me about this new place and that like I, I always get really geeked out when authors are doing things like that. And like Kevin, that's an example of like, that was just like, it's like a masterful thing. Um, mm -hmm. So there, that, that stands out to me about the rising storm, which was uh, um, so much fun. And, you know, you, you said it was a dark book and it is like bad, yeah. thing, bad things certainly happen. And my gosh, those last couple pages. Um, but there's also like some really great heroic and hopeful moments and seeing, you know, certain characters, you know, take a step forward and really sort of claim mm -hmm. a moment of like heroism or of hope or of like pushing and growing beyond themselves. You know, I know that Belle gets put through the ringer in that book, but there's really a couple of moments where you, you really are just like cheering for Belle and you're yep, seeing right. Belle like you can see the the Jedi that Bell might one day become because you can see it like coming, you know, coming out in bits and starts in, in the rising story. That's just, it, it's great to say. I love that book. Love that book. I, I just want to mention and shout out to Mark Thompson who does the audiobook because he had to read to sing that song. I, I usually <laughs> do the audiobook and the book at the same time. And when we got to that, I was like, is he going to sing it? Oh my God. He's singing. <laughs> uh, knowing Mark Thompson a little as I do. Um, first of all, he's absolutely lovely. Wonderful. Um, and his obviously his his talent as a as a um, He's voice actor insane. and <laughs> and narrator is incredible. Um, I I've never asked him about this, but I cannot. I am certain that he had so much fun saying that. Stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm absolutely sure. certain he did. Um, right. So speaking of songs, usually when a book comes out uh, after a couple of weeks or something, you go on Twitter and say, "This is my." soundtrack or this is my playlist that i use for editing this book and this is something new for me i know i find out now people use playlists when they're writing books when they're editing is there a criteria that you use to know which type of songs are going to go in this playlist depending on what type of book you're doing how do you come up with this soundtrack um so it's uh it's kind of esoteric and weird um <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with like why do these things exist and i'll yeah. get into how they exist so um this is just um one of my only talents or superpowers <laughs> is that i can read a book and listen to music that has lyrics at the same time and yeah. i don't get lost reading and i don't lose the song for some wow, reason wow. i am able to compartmentalize those things mm -hmm. um i know some some i know plenty of folks are like i can't do that you know i can't listen to music and read at the same time and i know plenty of people as well who are like i can listen to music as long as it's like instrumentals like i could listen to the yeah. star war you know i could listen to some john williams while i'm reading a star mm -hmm. wars book but like i can't listen to music with lyrics but i can so um and that came out of you know i i work from home you guys are seeing this is my um home office. This is where I work every day because I work from home now um, permanently. But when I worked in the office and I'd be trying to like, hey, I need to sit down and read this manuscript and I'd be sitting in my cubicle in the office, you know, trying to shut out the rest of the noise of the office and trying to concentrate, you know, you listen to music, you try to you know, 
put yourself on task. And so I started to do that to focus like that. And what would happen is I would just put my music kind of on shuffle and just let it play like kind of whatever, like not, yeah. not specifically, oh, I, I got to listen to just this album. I let it <laughs> shuffle. And what I would find would happen as I'd be reading a book is every once in a while, a song would kind of pop up and I'd be like, that's funny. That line from that song kind of reminds me of this character that I'm reading about right now. Or, you know, that song title is like this kind of funny inside joke for like this arc of this book or, or something like that. And so I would just start to, as those little strange connections would happen, I would just take the songs and I'd start to throw them into a playlist. Mm -hmm. And as I was editing a book, and editing is a process of like you reading the same book multiple times. It's not that I read a manuscript once. Okay, all my comments and edits, and that's it. I never really read it again, right? I will read a book five, six, maybe seven times throughout the life of it being developed. And I will do that pretty rapidly. It's not that I'm doing that over the course of multiple years. I am doing that, you know, back to back to back to back to back with some breaks. And as you can imagine, even for something that you really love, it could get monotonous at some point, right? Sure. The fifth time you've read something, if it's the fifth time in a couple of months, you can be like, you might be like, eh, I'm going to not pay attention as much during this chapter mm -hmm. and I'll focus again. And I don't want to do that as an editor because I want to make sure at each stage that, you know, it's like I'm checking to make sure that the tweaks that the author has made, that the changes they're making, the suggestions that other people are making, that, you know, we're improving the book at every stage. So I can't allow it to get monotonous. Mm -hmm. And having those playlists, having that music, helps me stay energized. I will sometimes put a song on a playlist just because it's like really up tempo and I will put it at a part in the playlist that I know I will get to when I get to a certain part of the book in order to avoid that sort of monotony or to keep my energy up in order to, you know, give me that sense of kind of kinetic pace that maybe the story itself has and it's just reflective of that so i use it for all, all sorts of different things mm -hmm. um as far as the criteria like i said sometimes it's just like hey this is fun to edit to so i'm putting this song on there mm -hmm. sometimes it will be because it reminds me of a character or again a line in the song reminds me of something that's going on in the plot sometimes it's just because it's funny like for <laughs> one of the playlists i made for one of the thrawn books i just decided i was going to put a ton of abba music on there because i was just <laughs> what? like what <laughs> What music Thrawn. do I think Thrawn, and I have no reason to think this, just like, yeah. do I think Thrawn would like ABBA? I was like, I think Thrawn might be annoyed by ABBA. Yeah. So I'm going to put a ton of ABBA on this playlist. Again, there's no reason. That's just like a weird yeah. joke I made in my head. Um, so I started, that's how I started to do it. And to be honest, I don't actually cultivate a playlist for every book. There are some books where it just doesn't happen. Um, sometimes if I'm working on like three books at once and I've already got two playlists, I just won't make a third because I'll just be listening mm -hmm. to those other two. And sometimes yeah. a book will come along that for whatever reason, the music that I happen to be listening to, it just like none of it. None of it makes that weird connection. None of it, you know, snaps together where those little inside jokes or those little fun references for me emerge. And I try not to force it. It's just like, if it happens, it happens. Um, and it's fun and it's cool. But if it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't. So that's the kind of weird criteria, the weird process. Mm -hmm. And what I found was when I was done with it, I was like, oh, I should share this with people. One, because I think it's a fun way to, to let people in a little bit into my process for working on the books. because kind of explaining or showing people how to be how you edit is actually a challenging thing to do mm -hmm. um and so i was like oh this is a fun way to give people an insight to my process but i also always found it fun that after i put out one of my editorial playlists because i don't explain why any of the music is on mm -hmm. to see people listening to it and then like coming up with like oh i think this song's on here because of yeah, this yeah. thing and there's no right or wrong answer because it's fun to just see the way that people interpret 
the music in the same way that like the way that different people interpret a movie or they interpret mm -hmm. a you know a book or whatever yeah. it's fun to watch people engage with the music that i've picked and pick mm -hmm. out these amazing connections that i'm like i never intended i never <laughs> thought of that but that's incredible yeah um, so that's that's kind of fun and and it's just another way to inject a little bit of fun and whimsy into what is i have to admit is already quite a fun and whimsical job <laughs> but just why not add more right yeah, yeah. of course yeah. you gotta keep it lively like you said Exactly. Um, just gonna highlight real quick. Uh, Jacqueline said that she wishes she had that superpower. Me listening. too. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I really apologize. I wish I could like tell people how to do that. I don't. I I have no idea. It's just always something I've been able to do. I don't know like if I learned to do that some way. I don't mm -hmm. know if it just comes from growing up and like multitasking a million different things at once as a kid. No idea. It's it's just one of those things that I can do. All right. Uh, you might have already, with your answer, this question might not be too relevant, but mentioning ABBA kind of, I'll ask you anyway, is there a song that you haven't put on a playlist for uh, whatever book that you just are waiting for that connection to come in or it just, like you say, just kind of shows up when it shows up? Yeah, it's more it shows up when it shows up. Um, okay. There's not, like, I don't have one specific or like a cadre of songs or like, ah, oh, someday <laughs> this will be on a playlist. Um, you know, there there are different artists and different types of music that I happen to like more than others. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think if people like like alternative rock and stuff like that, you'll probably find more of that on my playlists than other kinds of music, just because that's a lot of what I listen to. You'll find a lot of music from the 90s and mm -hmm. from the early aughts, because again, that was the music during the more formative years of my life and my teens teenage years um but no i don't i don't really keep i don't really keep songs in reserve okay. um, for the most part okay uh tommy you talked a little bit about uh the outlining process does that take away from any surprises that might come from you know reading and editing a star wars book for the first time for example with uh um oh and shadow of the sith that moment where luke see, sees anakin's force goes was that like a surprise for you or is that um, taken away? so yes and no um okay. so the yes part is that obviously you know having gone through an outline you know a lot of you mm. know the sort of broad journey of where a story is going you certainly know all the major beats the major events the major conflicts the major tornado turning points i definitely know in advance and i am looking for them because i need to evaluate them so um to to you let's use rising storming as an example i knew what was going to be on the last page of that book before i got to the last page of the book i knew exactly what was going to happen i knew exactly who it was going to happen to mm -hmm. and i knew exactly what the reaction was going to be <laughs> so that's where there's a yes now the no has sort of two parts to it the no in terms of it not taking away the surprises even knowing all of that that last page still hit me like a freight train because <laughs> until you actually see it on the page until you know the exact words that the author has chose chosen for dialogue the exact way that the author has described it the exact way that they might have maybe taken the pov that was in the outline but maybe tweaked it or altered it or layered something on top of it until you actually see it happen it, there is still that opportunity for surprise there is still that opportunity to be taken aback to be like oh my gosh i legitimately knew that was coming and did not expect it um there is um i will tease there is something in delilah's book again inquisitor rise of the red blade coming out in july uh there is something in that book that again from the very first conversation that i had with delilah about this book from the very first outline from the very first everything was in that book and i knew it was coming 
And even knowing what, that it was coming, it absolutely just took my breath away. It just took me off my feet because the way that it happens, the way that it plays out and the way that Delilah executed it was just surprising. But the other part of the no is that while an outline does have all the major beats and has stuff, an outline is not like this thing that is just completely written in stone and it is the entire book and all you basically do is like add some page numbers and add some more dialogue there are still moments in the author's process of writing the book and develop the manuscript where there will be things that were not in the outline that are still intrinsic to the story that are still part of the journey that are still part of what needs to happen in the story that i don't know are going to happen you know there will it will sometimes be a character cameo that we know can work and can make sense, but happens at an unexpected moment or mm -hmm. a conversation between two people that you were just like, oh my gosh, I did not realize this was going to happen. Um, and so there are still those moments in the manuscripts that happen for me. And there are still those moments where I get to be as surprised and excited and, and sort of taken aback in the way that readers are. Um, and that's an important thing because part of my job and part of the audience that I'm thinking about when I'm editing is I'm trying to think about as much as I can, how is a reader gonna feel when they experience this for the first time? How are they gonna feel when they get to this moment and trying to put myself in the head of the reader as much as I can? And so, yeah, having those moments is still really important and it totally happens. It happens on every single book. It happened on Delilah's book, happened with, happened with Adam Christopher. Um, oh my gosh, it happens so much with from a certain point of view because there's 40 oh, different yeah. stories, yeah. you know, it's yeah. a bunch of different characters. Like happens all the time um, and it's really great and it's really exciting. And the most fun about that is that usually then I can send a message to the author and just be like, how dare you? Or like, that was amazing. <laughs> or like, I just got to page 200. You are, you know, yeah. you're terrible. Like <laughs> uh, affectionately, you're terrible, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. um, uh, so I, I totally um, have done that, um, especially with some of the authors who I text with um, that I will send them a text message just being like, I just got to this part in the manuscript. That was incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, totally I, still yeah. happens. Um, and it still happens even when I know it's going to that's awesome. Uh, that's cool. Uh, um, the Luminous authors, I'm sure they're used to people on Twitter telling them, you're, I hate you for killing my favorite every we, book. We, we all know, everybody knows that when people say, I hate you, but I love you, sort of, in terms yeah. of it's, putting, uh, putting readers through anguish or making readers feel things. Like, we, we yeah. understand how much that, that is said with affection and yep. love yeah, yeah. and appreciation. <laughs> All right, since we're running short on time, I'm going to skip a question here, Oti, and I'm taking one of yours. Oh, good. Um, so if there's one sentence that you can say, a word of a sentence to prepare us for phase three, that place is not pain, something just to prepare us mentally and emotionally. Well, all right, I'm going to, so I'm going to, this, this might be cheating, but that's fine. Uh, so the phase is called, Trials of the Jedi, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way with Light of the Jedi, Quest of the Jedi. So, Trials of the So, I think Trials is probably a good word uh, uh, to lean on. I think there's a reason yeah. that that's the name of the phase. So, there's a reason to lean on. Uh, so, sense. Trials. Uh, oh, all right. Those yeah. uh, it still hurts. Still hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so, Tom, have you worked on other books other than Star Wars? I do. Uh, I do. Uh, I presently work on other books other than Star Wars, though Star Wars probably takes up, I would say, the majority of my time, and I have in the past, and I'm sure will in the future. Um, is 
is there any difference in your approach to editing editing those books or is it your approach is the same way um my approach in terms of thinking about the author and trying to connect with an author and work with them to again it sounds trite but it's really the most basic true thing that i could say about my job is like make their book and their voice the best version of itself mm -hmm. that doesn't really change whether i'm working on star wars or um, i've worked with the folks over at blizzard on books i've worked with the folks at wizards of the coast um, i've worked with um, some authors working on original novels um, in my earlier days so regardless of who i'm working with that doesn't change okay. um, and it doesn't matter if if it says star wars on the front or it says something else um the only thing that really changes is it's just like the rules of that particular world the rules of that particular um uh yeah storytelling space okay. you know uh, like for instance this is a very basic one but it's it's a simple and basic it's just like star wars uses the metric system so when we're working on star wars i know we got to use the metric system and i can't be using the words like miles or inches or even phrases that are like he inched forward which isn't actually referring to oh, inches wow. but is refers to interest so you can't say that right because that's oh still referring to no. something that doesn't exist in star wars so and every world every storytelling world whether it's an original author or or another big brand like star wars every world has those kinds of little rules or styles or kind of just hmm. pieces of world building that you have to keep in mind and bounce between but um otherwise no i try to keep my approach as consistent as i can because for the most part the process of editing and working with an author and then being a project manager that whole other side of the job that's all pretty consistent that's the same no matter what's going on really okay, okay. i don't know how much you can talk to this but is there a star wars story that hasn't been turned to a book that you would love to see in that medium it doesn't have to be specific i know you guys are always working on different things but anything that hasn't come up that you really wish at some point it's the novels or ya or whatever Oh, I mean, I always have ideas for things that I think would make cool books, but um, yeah. I make a point of not sharing them because one day they might be books sure. and then everyone gets the surprise of seeing them. Um, also, then I don't have to make like a weird false promise of like, oh, I'd love to do X. And then, then X never happens. And someone asks yeah. me forever, hey, you said you might do X. I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> I, I keep those, I okay. kind of keep those a secret. Um, but okay, maybe right. one day um, people will get to uh, benefit from from some of the sequels. All right. Ben, ben, ben Quadrinaro's book. Ben Quadrinaro's book. <laughs> uh, uh, Tom, ha have the Star Wars book make, made you appreciate any Star Wars character or Star Wars thing more than you did before? Um, yes, actually, quite a bit. Um, so I, uh, this is, I mean, one of the things you guys probably, I mean, everybody seems to know and recognize about Star Wars is like, in every Star Wars story, there is always a character who only exists for like one or two minutes that everyone just absolutely falls in love with. Right? Yeah. <laughs> every single time, doesn't matter if it's a book, a comic, a TV show, a movie, a video game, happens every single time, like clockworks. It's beautiful and I love it and it's amazing. And books are not the only place, but books are often the place that those characters are sometimes able to have more screen time, not yeah. you know page time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And books are often the place where you can take a character who might only get five minutes in another story and give them more background, give them more of an arc, give them another appearance, give them a third appearance, whatever, bring them back into a story in a surprising way. And so being able to do that just gives me an appreciation for so many of the, like, um, I'm going to say little characters. I don't mean mm -hmm. that in a pejorative way. I don't mean to demean that. Yeah. I like, but characters who, again, do not have a ton of screen time. It also gives me so much 
more appreciation for the people who are like, this character only has five minutes of storytelling, but I love them so deeply. And being able to see and understand the connection that someone makes with a character in just that short span of time is like this beautiful thing that working on these books for, yeah. for a while has given me a chance to experience and giving me a chance to connect with people about. So that's a great thing. Um, and then the other thing is just, um, I have the absolute distinct pleasure that I get to chat with people who are helping to make Star Wars in all sorts of different mediums in lots of different ways, because I'm always chatting to them about our stories or other stories and just, you know, helping through the creative process and seeing the level of intention that every single person that I have ever talked to involved in Star Wars on any level has in trying to build stories and tell stories in this world is like, it's incredible. It is <laughs> fulfilling and it's inspiring and like, I just love sitting down to talk to Star Wars people about Star Wars just because it gives it makes me appreciate the world even yeah. more just listening to them do it. So all of those things. All right. Pirate King Gordian Sharp novel at some point. <laughs> That's what I want. I should be visual. Maybe yeah. a comic book. Yeah. Uh Tom, any tips for any aspiring writers out there? I know there are a few in the chat, so anything you know, to break into the industry? So breaking the industry or to write Star Wars specifically? Because those are kind of two different questions. Oh, write Star Wars specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Quaternero's book. So <laughs> let me start by saying that these are very big questions that I probably um, I cannot answer completely. So one, mm -hmm. if anyone ever has more questions about this, you can always hit me up on Twitter um, at Darth Antarnus, which is under my name right there. And I'm always happy to answer questions about this kind of stuff. But um, for people who are interested in breaking into the industry and eventually writing Star Wars in some form, first of all, I would say one of the best first things you can always do is just start by cultivating and working on your, your own voice as an author and your own stories, big stories, small stories, whatever it is, cultivate your voice as a writer and get reps and get experience writing as a writer for yourself and developing your own stories because what will what happens generally when we are looking for authors is in order to find a new author for star wars what i go out and do is i go read books and comics and watch tv and i go experience storytelling and then i find people i'm like wow this this storyteller is awesome and their voice is incredible and their experience and their background i would love to see what they could do in star wars but the primary way though that we evaluate someone in order to come write a star wars story is we read another story of theirs yeah. and so um building up uh and breaking into the industry in any way that you can in order to build up your own storytelling is a way to then make it easier for me to find you and for people like me to find you to help bring you then in to write a star wars story and again this is a a, a larger question but breaking into the industry as a writer there's any number of avenues there's you know everything from large traditional publishers, you know, the, the publisher that I work for, Penguin Random House is a big traditional publisher. There's self-publishing, there's indie presses, there are, there are um, any number of different kinds of avenues and ways into publishing. Obviously there's books versus comics versus short stories versus writing for movies and television and video games. There's a million different avenues in and folks who have written Star Wars novels come from across the gamut of different experiences. So aside from cultivating your own work as a writer and focusing on your own work as a writer and trying to build your own stories, I would also say like 
do what you can to research the publishing industry and research what you think is the part of the publishing industry that best works for you. Because some folks, you know, self-publishing is the thing that they want to do. Some folks, it's large, big publishers and getting a representation by an agent. Some folks, it's indie press. Some folks, it's somewhere in between or it's a crossover. Um, so I, this is not like a great specific answer. And unfortunately, there is not a magic answer, right? I can't say like, do these four steps and in five years, you know, I'll come knock on your door for a Star Wars book. Um, but I think the first thing, because this is where I start with everyone that I ask and look for to come write a Star Wars story is, find a way to tell your own stories because if you're telling your own stories that's the great first step and honestly that's the first thing i'm going to ask is oh can i read something you've written mm -hmm. uh you know uh and so i need that to be something that i can read and evaluate to find the the kind of star wars story that i think you would love to write the most and the kind of star wars story that you will just knock out of the park right <laughs> um uh, to use a baseball uh, and <laughs> so yeah, so apologize again. Apologies that that's like a very big kind of broad, non-specific answer. Um, but I think starting small, starting with your own writing and focusing on your own writing before anything yeah. else is is a great first step. It's a great foundational step because at the end of the day, a writer or an author that that's your writing is like the thing that is your thing, right? That is that is what you have. That is what you're part of. The, that's what your role is. Um, because I am not a writer, so I need people to come write stories for me that I can help them yeah. build. But I am not a writer. I'm just an editor. All right. I think that's a perfect way to end today's episode. Tom, I can appreciate how much. I uh, appreciate you being here today. Um, thanks again just for being in the chat a year or so ago and then for spending a little bit over an hour with us just talking in general, just the Star Wars, the role of, of an author, how the Star Wars, Star Wars books come together and then just ending it up with that great advice to everyone out there. So again, Tom, thanks a lot for being here with us. It was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it so much. Um, I, like I said, it was a, it was really um, an honor to be asked to do this. Um, I will come hang out in the chat whenever I can. Um, I, like I said, I love listening to people talk about Star Wars books and yeah. talk about the Star Wars stories and what they mean. So thank you again for having me. Thanks for everyone who came to the chat and for everyone who's been listening. I appreciate that mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and yeah. uh, you guys have been great. So <laughs> you've been awesome. So thank you. Yeah. Right, Tom, something we ask everyone before they leave, where can people find you on social media and anything out there that you're working on that you want people to know, although we spend a lot of time talking about it. Sure. So um, on social media, you can pretty much only find me on Twitter. That's the place that I exist. Um, social media handle is Darth Internus, I-N-T-E-R. N-O-U-S. Yes, I got that Darth name when I was an intern. And as far as I'm aware, you're not allowed to change your Darth name in Star Wars. So I am forever the Darth intern, uh, Darth Internus. Uh, and as far as things that I'm working on, I mean, it's all the books that I edit, all the wonderful authors, whether it's Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade that's coming out in July. From a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi, we are finishing the From a Certain Point of View OT trilogy coming out now in August. And then there's more High Republic coming this fall, and um, there's more stuff coming in the future that uh, folks don't know about yet, but I'm super excited about, and um, I can't wait for everyone to hear about, and just thanks for reading. Um, yeah. That means a lot to me. It means a lot to everyone who works on these mm -hmm. books. Um, there's a whole host of people who work on making them awesome, and we appreciate everybody who takes time to read or listen or however you choose to consume your Star Wars books. So thanks so much. Yeah. I mean, so excited for Rise of the Red Blade. High Republic, Phase 3, 
Oti and I am glad it's going to be spread out through a little bit over a year oh, yes. to give us time to relax a little bit between books. Uh, well, very excited for everything that's coming out. Um, everyone in the chat, thanks for being here. It was great as always. Amy, Mo, Catherine, Dylan, Roberto, uh, Jacqueline, Arisu, Brian, uh, Dale, Brennan, everyone that chimed in today. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Like I said before, we'll be back next Saturday, this Saturday, I should say. Oti, you know, people know where to find you, right? I don't need to. Yeah, you can find me or whatever it says down there or at Twitter right Instagram. There. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tom, thanks again for being here. Well, hopefully, we can do this again in the future and cry after phase three together. <laughs> All right. So, thank you, everyone. Stay safe. Be safe. And may the force be with you. Bye, everybody. <laughs>